Welcome to the podcast Terrorism and Political Violence Issues Up Close, a podcast produced by the journal Terrorism and Political Violence in collaboration with Utrecht University. In this series, we take a deep dive into the topics of terrorism and political violence. Special guests and the editors of the TPV Journal will discuss a range of subjects. The history of terrorism, its causes and consequences, questions concerning political violence and major global trends and threats. Today's episode is a conversation on the topic of ethics and doing research in the field of terrorism and political violence. Max Taylor and John Horgan, both editors at TPV, are the hosts of this episode. They each interview one special guest. John will speak with Maura Conway, professor of international security at Dublin City University. And Max will speak to Boaz Ganor, director of the International Institute for Counterterrorism. Both Mora and Boaz have written a contribution to the Terrorism and Political Violence special issue on ethics, which makes them very interesting guests to welcome on today's episode. Enjoy your listen. So, um, Max, you, you and I have been talking about ethics on and off for what I think is the best part of 20 years. And, and you know, I spent the last couple of days thinking back on on the kinds of discussions we've had. And for me, when you and I have talked about ethics, it was more often than not in the context of, of one of us seeing something or reading something or hearing something that a researcher or a practitioner did and 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 one of us said, oh, that seems a little strange or that seems a little odd or this is very interesting or curious. Um, and, and, and that got us to talking about ethics and and accountability and 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 whether or not terrorism studies ought to be modeled if you like along something that had professional standards associated with it and um and we've i think we we never really did anything with it but it's been a lingering discussion and we've often talked about the idea of you know what a formal society or a professional body for terrorism researchers might look like. And I think, my memory of it anyway, it was in the context of that that we talked about doing something a bit more formal um, to call greater attention to to ethical issues in terrorism research. I don't know if that's your recollection of it, but but to to my mind, that's where this came from. I I think you're right. One of the virtues of being very old and having been around for a long time is that you you see things develop. And one thing that's very clear is that from 20, 25, 30 years ago, there wasn't really a coherent study of terrorism. It's just what, you know, it was something that came up and odd people were involved in it. But it's clearly grown now. Um, It's gone from just a few people who knew themselves and knew their way into things, probably through personal contacts, to a much more structured environment where an awful lot of money involved in research grants and so on, an awful lot of people become interested in it, and it's grown in political importance as well and social importance. Along with that, it's I don't really think we've gone down the the, the professional development road. I think that's an element that we've talked about in the past, John. Um, and it's very difficult because, in in part, te- the study of terrorism draws on an array of disciplines. So, as we're both psychologists, uh, there is a professional context that can be drawn on, but other disciplines don't have that 
same professional context or they have a different one or they come from a different kind of world so uh, as as the area has grown as the number of people have become has grown as we have become more sophisticated in the way that we think about the problems so it seems to me and i think this lies at the heart of an element in the development of this special issue there is a need to be a bit more formal not in the sense of stopping anybody from doing anything but being clear about what it is we're doing and why we're doing it and what the consequences of that might be uh, because the consequences aren't just in terms of catching terrorists or whatever there's a broader responsibility as scholars to develop the the ideas to develop our thinking um, there's a social responsibility to ensure that what we do to to use the phrase that we in the introductory chapter that we developed uh, primum primum non nocere just don't make it worse whatever we do don't make things worse just because we want to do it or because there is some immediate political imperative to things there needs then to be some kind of capacity to stand back look at what's going on and look at it not simply from the point of view of an individual profession's perspectives but the broader issues of the study of terrorism does that make sense to you, John? It absolutely does. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here nodding along with everything you're saying. I, I think one of the one of the many signs, one of the many positive healthy indicators of the growth of the field for me is that we've seen um, greater interest in academic research from from non-academics, from 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 government, from practitioners, from the public. And and you know, we, we we throw around words like transparency and accountability, typically in the context of of something having gone wrong. But I think it's it, unless we formally engage in discussions about these issues, um, uh, you know, we're we're going to be we're going to be hindered. I mean, the field is seeing enormous growth, and I think it it, it for me the timing does seem appropriate to just stand back for, for a second, catch our breaths and go, okay, the research is getting better. The quality of research is getting better. The translation of that research into real world practice has been at a point where we've never seen it before. And so, so let's call greater attention to, to issues that, you know, as, as Maura Conway says in this very podcast, um, we all talk about, but we all talk about as, 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 as tangential side issues. And 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 I don't remember ever seeing a full-on formal discussion of ethical issues in terrorism research before. No, uh, an interesting um, element of the special issue is that it, it's drawn together to what might at first sight appear to be quite different sets of agendas. One agenda is to do with you know the role of the academic and the safety of the academic and what it is that we need to do to protect ourselves or to engage sensibly and carefully and safely. Uh, and the other side of it has been a concern with the operational consequences of what happens. And I, I think what ethics offers is a way of drawing the operational and the academic together. It offers a forum um, where both, as it were, sides of that equation can begin to explore issues, I think, to the benefit of everybody, because I'm absolutely convinced that a, a, a sensible and measured um, regard to ethics in decision making 
makes decision making better. Well, I completely agree with all of that. And 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 to, to, to one more time echo what Maura Conway says in this podcast, she says that there is a greater need for us to share experiences. And that doesn't just go for academics doing research on terrorism. I think it behooves all of us to 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 talk and share and disclose more about not just what we do, but why we do it and how we do it. And I think there are, as you say, many, many benefits um, um, for, for, for all of us if we do that. Well, one of the things that's changed over recent times is the, is the notion of secrecy. Things that were desperately secret that you could never hear about, now you do hear about. Because social media and, as it were, citizen reporting and so on, brings out and makes available information that would never have been available in the past. So it, it isn't anymore a case of, uh, you know, here's a, a group of people doing one thing and here's a, a bunch of academics looking at something. There is now um, a, a wealth of open source material that breaks down those barriers. And it does seem to me that ethics or thinking about ethics and thinking about a structure in which we can explore ethical issues will enable the different elements in the in the process to come together. It is a process. It's not it's not that any group have a um, a monopoly of of rightness or correctness. Uh, there is a process and a sharing needed here. And I think that maybe thinking about ethics and thinking about how we can effect structures to engage in that thinking will be a good process to bring to make make matters better simply than that. And we'll all learn from it too. So, you know, you said a few minutes ago, you know, you and I are both psychologists. So, you know, we're we're very familiar with what, you know, when you talk about ethics and I talk about ethics, we have a sense of what, what that shared language is. But um, this was a huge learning experience for me in, 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 in doing this special issue with you to learn about ethical issues from the perspective of, of you know, a political scientist or a practitioner or, or, or whomever. And I think, again, it comes back to this sharing of experiences that um, um, forces us to think about similar issues anew. Yeah, I, I think this podcast is an interesting example of it as well, because in the, uh, clearly we couldn't have someone speaking to every paper in the issue, in, in the special issues, it, there's too many. But the two people whom we will shortly listen to, uh, Maura Conway and Boaz Gano, both in, they, they, they represent, as it were, different elements in that um, matrix, in that process of investigating terrorism and, terrorism, and working out what terrorism studies is. Uh, Maura's perspective, I think, as we will probably hear in, in uh, when she speaks, uh, is much more about um, the nature of the researchers' engagement with uh, research and terrorism. And Boris's concern is about what do we think about terrorism and how do we manage terrorism? Now, I think that the, the juxtaposition of those two things is actually the way forward for this. And in a way, we've this setting this doing this this way sets in motion that process. Well, I think that sets us up nicely. Um, how about we hear what they have to say? I think that's a good idea. This is John Horgan. I am one of the editors of the journal Terrorism and Political Violence, and today's podcast will take a closer look at our recent special issue on ethics and terrorism. I am delighted to be joined today by one of the contributors to that special issue, Professor Maura Conway. 
For most of you listening, Maura Conway is somebody who needs no introduction. Her name is synonymous with research on online violent extremism. Professor Conway is currently the Paddy Moriarty Professor of Government and International Studies at Dublin City University, where she coordinates VoxPol, an EU-funded project on violent online political extremism, an area in which, of course, she is a renowned expert. Her other research areas include cyberterrorism, the functioning and effectiveness of violent extremist online content, and online radicalization. Her work is widely published, and she has presented research findings before such bodies as the United Nations, the Commission of the European Union, the UK House of Lords, and many other venues. She is a member of the Academic Advisory Board of Europol's Counterterrorism Center and is an editorial board member of Terrorism and Political Violence. Maura, you are very welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Now, Maura, you have pioneered research on how the internet has, in so many ways, changed the way in which not just terrorism happens, but the ways in which we as researchers um, look at terrorism. In your article, which is uh, open source on our website, so I encourage you all to read it, you highlight the need for greater protection of researchers. You also highlight the need for better online security, privacy, and mental health of those who do research on violent extremism and terrorism research. So, so can I begin by asking you, why did you want to do that? Why, why draw attention to these issues in particular? Yeah, so um, I guess much like yourself and Max, John, when you were thinking through um, the idea for the special issue, um, you know, I definitely had broadly the feeling that we needed to pay more attention to ethics issues within terrorism studies. And I've had that feeling for some time now, and I don't think I'm alone in that, um, obviously, uh, given the special issue uh, and whatnot. So when I saw the call for papers, um, it was definitely very attractive to me from that perspective. And my own then particular interest is in online extremism and terrorism. And I'd been thinking for a while also about, you know, ethics issues uh, in that particular uh, space. And I had a whole bunch of things, actually, um, that I had taught to address in a sort of a broad overview paper, potentially, uh, for the journal that didn't just address sort of researcher welfare issues or informed consent or what have you, but also, for example, um, legal issues, including things like GDPR or, you know, um, publication ethics issues and et cetera, et cetera. So I do think there's a very wide range of ethics issues that are yet to be addressed when it comes to online extremism and terrorism research. But when I reflected on things, um, I guess I was, I felt that this issue of, on the one hand, um, subject, uh, you know, welfare, if you like, uh, and on the other hand, researcher welfare were particularly important. And uh, in the paper, um, one of the things that I do address uh, is this issue around consent and, and, you know, collection of data in online spaces from subjects who aren't explicitly consenting, uh, oftentimes, if you like. And, and to me, that's a subject, research subject welfare issue. But that's very standard 
um, across the sciences uh, and in social science also to have this really core concern um, with the welfare of the research subjects. But something I had the strong feeling that was missing, um, maybe in social, some social sciences broadly, though I think some disciplines are definitely better than others in this, but definitely within terrorism uh, studies and specifically within this online space, that really my feeling was that um, researcher welfare issues um, were not being attended to. Now, um, uh, plainly, uh, there are colleagues who have contributed um, some uh, writings uh, in 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 recent times. Generally, you know, the, the, their their work on research or welfare issues up until quite quite recently was just a component of a chapter or a report or an article uh, or what have you. Um, and we'd also begun um, uh, in terms of our subdiscipline or what have you, we'd also begun um, thinking about these issues in of research or welfare uh, in workshops and conferences and obviously in, in conversations around the edges also of workshops and conferences and what have you. But it was important for me that uh, we really begin uh, now to address this issue more explicitly, uh, more substantively, and importantly, I think, in writing. Um, because that's what we generally do as researchers, right? I mean, the, the most important um, things are what, what gets down on paper. Uh, and so that was definitely um, an aspect of it uh, for me. Um, in particular, um, what I did was I looked at two aspects of this research or welfare issue, as you pointed out, John, um, which, which was uh, uh, sort of researchers' mental and emotional well-being uh, on, the, on the one hand, uh, and also issues around um, privacy and security when you're conducting online research uh, on the other hand. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that was kind of my reasoning, uh, uh, if you like, that, that these were two of the most prominent um, issues in the broadly ethics area. Uh, and um, when we begin to think about research or welfare, that the that the that this issue um, of mental and emotional well-being on the one hand and uh, privacy and security on the other were were probably core within that space. Thank you so much, Maura. And and can I ask you uh, just by way of follow up on that? Um, what do you hope this discussion will will achieve? I mean, what do you hope it it might it might start in in our in our community? Definitely a few different things, John. Um, I guess um, one of the things that um, I'd like it to do is just to continue, like you said, the discussion, and like I've already pointed to, is already underway, uh, which is a positive uh, thing. Um, and de definitely the this, this special issue uh, contributes to this you know, discussion about um, ethics uh, issues. Um, I think that um, if, if we can um, have more of these discussions, begin to formalize them to a greater extent, uh, write them down, like I say, which is quite important, I think that will really usefully feed into things like our better informed engagement 
um, with um, what's called in the UK and Ireland, uh, this side of the pond, if you like, research ethics committees, uh, and what's often referred to in the US as IRBs, um, you know, that, that we'd be better prepared uh, coming to those and that um, our colleagues, especially, um, you know, uh, PhD students and early career researchers, you know, can learn from everything that many of us have already learned through trial and error and sometimes making some bad, you know, uh, decisions. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think that um, uh, writing about these issues um, could be very positive uh, from that uh, perspective. And eventually, like I say in the paper, um, I think an important outcome in terms of specifically um, online um, extremism and terrorism uh, research um, is, is that we could begin to formalize things in a slightly different way, which is to say we could, if, if we continue the discussions, if we write down our experiences, if we pool all of that information, that we could begin to come up with um, perhaps a more formal um, set of guidelines or some kind of a baseline document uh, for carrying out really ethically informed um, online extremism and terrorism research. I'm not sure that we can come to a consensus, uh, if you like, and and I think that um, the Association of Internet Researchers, who have a very very well respected um, set of um, internet research guidelines, they they point to the difficulties uh, uh, in in terms of coming to any kind of clear consensus in online research for a wide variety of reasons. It's a very fast changing space, uh, etc. And then you when you add in you know, some of the difficulties that are specific to terrorism studies, for example, it, it becomes quite tricky. But having said that, um, my strong feeling would be that we could come to some kind of best practice document or guidelines uh, or what have you that, again, could really benefit um, our um, subdiscipline going forward. Uh, and again, um, assist, you know, um, people new to this uh, research area, whether it's PhD researchers, whether it's um, early career researchers, or whether it's just, um, you know, somebody who's even more progressed in their career, but for whatever reason is beginning to do work in this particular uh, area. Uh, and, and also could be useful to any of us, like I say, who are um, faced with a research ethics committee who may, who sometimes aren't so well informed um, about, in particular, the crossover of online research with, with terrorism research, which, uh, you know, sometimes I think raises red flags um, uh, for, for uh, members of committees when oftentimes, uh, you know, it, 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 it doesn't necessarily need to. I mean, it's possible to work out uh, many, many of the issues, but some assistance with, with working that out from other colleagues is something that I think would be uh, really beneficial. 
Unquestionably, Maura. You know, it's it's such a cliche to say, I wish we had more time, but I will instead urge all of our listeners, um, if you haven't already read Professor Conway's article, it is open access on the Terrorism Political Violence website, so you have no excuses. Please check it out. And Professor Maura Conway, thank you so much for your paper. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us today. And we hope uh, we hope this discussion continues. Absolutely. Good to talk to you, John. So that was my brief conversation with uh, Professor Maura Conway. And let me now hand over to my colleague, co-editor and partner in crime, Professor Max Taylor, who's going to talk to Boaz Ganor. Max, what are you and Boaz going to chat about? Uh, John, thanks. Well, Boaz very kindly agreed to talk to us about targeted killing. So um, let's listen to him. It's my pleasure and privilege to introduce Professor Boaz Ganner. Um, Boaz is the founder and executive director of the International Institute for Counterterrorism, and he holds the Ronald Lauder Chair for Counterterrorism at the Interdisciplinary Center in Herzliya in Israel. I don't need to introduce Boaz because I think our audience will know all about him and know, um, and, and we'll just waste time doing that. Um, it is worth saying, though, that it probably amongst the terrorism studies community, Boaz has a depth of experience which is probably unrivaled. Um, he wrote in the special issue on ethics and terrorism, paper on targeted killings, ethical and operational issues. And that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. So if I may start off by just giving a, a little context and then asking some questions, Boaz. Please do. Thank you for having me, by the way, Max. Uh, that is our pleasure. Um, it, it, targeted killings is, is a very contentious issue. It's a very difficult issue. All our audience is going to have views on it one way or another, and they're not necessarily related to um, academic interests or political context or whatever it is. It's a very complex issue. Um, it seems to me, though, that it goes really to the very core of our understanding, a conceptual understanding of what terrorism is and what terrorists are. Um, and I'd like to just really pull out of that just one or two little points that we might focus on here, recognising that there's a whole array of other things and we're just not going to have time to talk about them. Um, it seems to me one of the issues that, that this brings out very strongly is are terrorists civilians or are they combatants? Now, that's important because what follows from that is what laws and rights do individuals have? If they're civilians, they have rights for things like due process and so on, they're innocent prove, until proven guilty and so forth, at least in most of our, in the Western countries at any rate. If a combatant, then you have different kinds of rules that re relate to how soldiers are treated or and, and how you conduct um, conflict and so forth. So that seems to me one really, really important conceptual issue. Another one is, how do we extend that to people who are supporters of terrorists, people in a sense who aid and abet combatants, are they also combatants? And therefore, are they also likely to be subject to targeted killings? And then the next step beyond that is, well, what about collateral damage? What about the poor individual who just happens to be there for no reason other than chance? 
So I guess really that, that comes out to something to do with um, does a state have a right to put its safety in front of everything else? Boris, how would you resolve some of these difficulties? Thank you, Max. I think you uh, it's a bullseye uh, question. It's right to the point. Um, and, and, and thank you for immediately uh, uh, putting us in, this, in, in the right uh, framework. You've asked the uh, embryonic question, uh, terrorist civilians uh, or combatants. And let me elaborate on that to something which is even more controversial. What is terrorism? Um, is terrorism is an act of war? Or terrorism is a criminal act, or terrorism is both. Well, I tend to believe that terrorism is first and foremost an act of war. It's, of course, also a criminal act. Uh, it's a combination. It's a war crime uh, in this regard. Uh, once you understand terrorism as an act of war, uh, it, uh, then you translate that to understanding that uh, terrorists are combatants uh, and uh, not civilians. Um, and uh, under those two assumptions, uh, um, then the next question would be um, what is allowed to do uh, at times of war against uh, combatants? And I would argue that targeted killing falls exactly into that uh, concept or that definition. Um, targeted killing is prohibited as a punishment uh, uh, tool. Um, one cannot, uh, there is no state in the world or any other entity that has the right to deliberately kill uh, their enemies um, um, if, uh, if they are criminals, uh, if, uh, if they see this as a certain type of punishment. If you want to punish your enemies, if you want to punish your criminals, you should bring them to court, you should uh, um, persuade uh, the, the judge uh, with due process uh, that they deserve the capital punishment. By the way, in Israel, we don't have a capital punishment. It's even more uh, uh, problematic in this regard. Um, but uh, uh, the Israeli Supreme Court has uh, said time and again, and Israel is following uh, uh, that concept, that uh, um, targeted killing is prohibited as a certain type of punishment. So when and how should the state use uh, uh, targeted killing uh, in their um, in the war or, or counterterrorism arsenal. Um, well, we know that uh, in the uh, arsenal of counterterrorism, you have different types of measures. You have defensive measures, you have security, you have uh, intelligence measures, and you have offensive measures. And targeted killing is one among a few offensive uh, activities that can be done at times of war against combatants, against terrorists which are combatants. That leads us to a sub-question. Are all the terrorist combatants, actually you have mentioned, are the supporters of uh, uh, terrorism combatants? And the answer is no. Uh, supporters of terrorism are not combatants. And even among the terrorists, uh, one can and should differ between different types of engagements in terrorism. Uh, do we... we uh, consider uh, in, in the same way the uh, uh, bomb manufacturers, the uh, recruiters of suicide attackers, the suicide attackers themselves, the planners, um, like we refer to a financier or uh, ideologist leader. Uh, those are fair questions and difficult one, I have to say. 
And there are different views on that. My uh, observation, based on my interpretation of the Israeli Supreme Court uh, um, judging on, on, their, on a petition exactly on those specific questions, is that targeted killing is permitted as a legitimate tool at times of war against terrorists only in reference to terrorists which are engaged in a specific and immediate act of terrorism. So count, uh, uh, targeted killing is a prevention tool uh, that uh, is, is aimed to thwart specific terrorist attacks and not even general uh, uh, terrorist activity of this or the other organization. It's really difficult, isn't it? I'm not, not going to move away from the difficulty, but um, one of the ironies, it seems to me, is that proponents of targeted ki killing justify them by saying it's actually saving lives. And of course, opponents of targeted killing justify their position because that also saves lives because you're not killing somebody and so forth. So, I mean, there are real, real difficulties here. The British state had problems in labelling the provisional IRA as combatants in an army. In other words, granting them the status of armed, uh, of an army, um, and, and bringing that sort of thinking into play in the management of the problems in Northern Ireland. Isn't that a difficulty with uh, regarding terrorists as soldiers? Actually, Max, this gives me the uh, opportunity to complain that you gave me probably the most difficult chapter in your volume. <laughs> I agree, it is difficult, and that's why it's interesting for me to deal with. Uh, uh, yes, it is difficult, and th there are ma many variations, and, and there are blurred situations, and, and, and there are gray uh, uh, zones uh, that needed to be explored. But what we need to have is at least a clear guideline, and that's what I try to do in the chapter, uh, to bring two models that would give us a, a clear guideline that based on those guidelines, we can analyze different uh, uh, types of situations, different types of uh, targets, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, if it's not complicated enough, we need to bear in mind that we are scholars and uh, we usually don't see all the uh, uh, intimate intelligence uh, uh, that the decision makers or the security services might have uh, when they need to calculate based on those two models, in my view, uh, if it's uh, legitimate or not legitimate to attack this uh, person or the other person uh, altogether. But going back to your question, um, yes, um, I think that uh, the, uh, um, the concept that I would use in order to justify and legitimate uh, this type of activity is going back to the first question. Since we are dealing with a war situation, at times of war, unfortunately, you have the right to kill your enemy. Um, the question is, if you do it in uh, in uh, um, legitimate, in a, in a legal manner, if you follow uh, the international humanitarian law, if you try to limit collateral damage, and so many other questions uh, uh, altogether. Uh, but unfortunately, killing the enemy at times of war, it's uh, it's a legitimate uh, activity. Since I do see terrorism as an act of war in general. Um, then, uh, then uh, targeted killing is legitimate, and yes, it's legitimate because you want to save lives, uh, uh, and uh, uh, there is a huge difference between uh, killing a ticking bomb a, a, a person, a person who is involved in an immediate uh, 
uh, terrorist uh, attack um, and, uh, and and killing random uh, civilians uh, which are being killed by terrorists altogether. If I go back to the Israeli Supreme Court uh, decision, um, they've said another very interesting uh, uh, guideline. They said that if there is an alternative measure that can be used instead of targeted killing in order to prevent the attack without risking uh, an unproportional number of, uh, uh, say, soldiers, uh, 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 then it should always be preferred. Targeted killing is the last resort type of activity. Uh, but if there is no other chance, if you have a ticking bomb situation, if this is the only way to prevent it by, say, bombing uh, the, 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 the suicide attacker before he's marching into the target, uh, yes, it's permitted, at least the way uh, we see it. Boris, it is a difficult topic, and I think your paper is an excellent example of how we as scholars should approach this. And I think your conversation with me now has absolutely um, uh, developed further some of the ideas that you you've you introduce in the paper. I would urge our listeners to read it. It is an important issue, and I want to thank you on behalf of our listeners and the broader community for, for contributing this, uh, for leading us towards thinking about something that's difficult, but really, really important. So on behalf of us all, thank you, Boris. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Max, and thank you, uh, John Horgan, for having me in this very important volume that you have uh, prepared. And with that, we come to the end of today's episode. This podcast was brought to you by the journal Terrorism and Political Violence, Utrecht University, and the Hub Security and Open Societies. The sound design was done by Peter Veen. You can find more information on this podcast series, including about the next episode, in the description. For now, we thank you very much for listening and please join us again for the next episode of Terrorism and Political Violence Issues Up Close.